Levo to the right hand, puts her down. He's going to jump him hard to the ice. Brady Levo just loves to fight. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. My dream of being a professional hockey player became a reality, but it was all taken away from me in a very short period of time. For many years, hockey was my outlet. Hockey was my drug. When I had a stick in my hand, nothing else mattered. I was able to break into the Western Hockey League in 2004, and I even won the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year. During the summer of my rookie year, I experimented with drugs for the first time. After just seven games in my sophomore season, I walked away from the Swift Current Broncos due to personal reasons. Nobody knew I had been sexually abused at the age of five. I did everything to hide it from everybody, but I just couldn't take it. Drugs and alcohol now took over my life. I did return to the Swift Current Broncos as a 19-year-old, but things were never the same. I was eventually traded to the Kelowna Rockets in my final year of junior where I got to play on a line with the Dallas Stars captain, Jamie Benn, and one of my best friends, the extremely talented Colin Long. It was by far my best season ever, and I even signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning's organization. A dream come true, right? That's when everything went wrong. First it was the cocaine, then came the Oxycontin, and that led me into a 12-year journey into the deepest pits of hell. Within two years, I had now made the switch to heroin, fentanyl, and everything in between, and I was now an intravenous drug user. Multiple suicide attempts and over five trips to the psych ward, I was a shadow of who I once was. By 2014, I was homeless on Hastings in Vancouver, the worst street in North America. By 2015, I was a wanted criminal, making the Crime Stopper headlines more than once. After spending three years in jail, I had completely given up. With nowhere to turn and nowhere to go, I finally started to get honest. I took a chance and made some major changes. This is my story. 911, where's your emergency? Someone overdosed? What's the address? I overdosed over 10 times. I'm one of the lucky ones. And for that, I will always be grateful. This is for all the men and women we've lost. Matthew Wazinski, Mitch Fadden, this one's for you. My name's Brady Lebel, and I've been to hell and back. This is the road to recovery. I'm grateful, oh yeah, able, oh yeah, I'm stable, oh yeah, no label. What's going on guys, welcome, Hockey to Hell and Back, episode number 65. Thank you so much, if you're watching live, I'm Brady Liebold, coming at you guys from Muskoka, Ontario. Thanks for being here, if you're listening after the fact, thank you so much. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends. If you don't, simply don't. But, you know, I'm excited for tonight's episode for so many reasons. But before we get into that, I want to give a very special shout out to my man, Curtis Gabriel, was the last guest just a couple days ago. My good friend just signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We uh, we were talking about it on the last episode. I'm sure you, a lot of you guys were watching. It's, uh, it's exciting for him to come home. So I'm super proud of you, Kurt. I uh, can't wait to get down there and, and watch you now. Now I'll have an opportunity to do that. So congratulations. Looks good on you. Um, as you guys know, uh, every single episode, 
you know, we honor one of those that we've lost in the hockey community to tragedies like suicide and overdose. Uh, you know, in this picture, this is a, a group of people who are all close to the hockey community that lost their battle. And uh, every episode, as you can see behind me, we honor one of those individuals. And tonight's, uh, they're all hard, but tonight's a very, very hard one. And I talked about this on the last episode, uh, but I'm just going to read a snippet uh, from Sophie's obituary. Sophie was born October 4th, 2006 in St. Cloud, Minnesota. She completed eighth grade, just finished middle school, was about to enter high school. She was actively involved in many activities at school, including student council, triathlon, knowledge bowl, tech team, and equity club. Sophie participated in many sports, including hockey, soccer, cross country, and track. She was also a volunteer for the Minnesota Wild Special Hockey, helping on the ice. So Sophie was a very talented musician, was involved with Suzuki violin since age five and played flute in the middle school band. Sophie was a very kind, generous, thoughtful, funny, sweet, and caring young lady. She was generous in death by donating her corneas and heart valves. Everyone loves Sophie. She was a devoted friend, sister, daughter, granddaughter, and cousin. She will be deeply missed. I just want to send my deepest condolences, especially to her parents, Amy and Henry. She was just 14 years old and just 10 days ago took her life. And, you know, it's just, it's so sad when you see somebody that age feeling that that's the only answer. And so, you know, as we go through this podcast, I'm sure we'll come back to it, but just know that if you're struggling, you're not alone. We're going to do one sponsor and we'll be right back with Scott Oak. Hi there, it's Regan Bartell, the play-by-play voice of the Kelowna Rockets, Brady Leopold's biggest fan. Team Issued is connecting all walks of life. Team Issued does this by recreating that special feeling of being a part of something bigger. A community for all striving towards the same goal. Teamissued.ca, promo code TOEDRAG15 for 15% off. Thank you to Regan Bartell from the Clone Rockets. My guy, I absolutely love him. Um, great announcer, even better person. Thanks to Jess, Jesse Paradise at Team Issued for their ongoing support since the third episode before this was called Hockey to Hell and Back. So thank you. Make sure to check out Team Issued. If you've watched the show, you know how this goes. We'll see you in a couple minutes. Doing this podcast has without question saved my life and pushed me in a direction that I would have never, ever imagined. When I first pressed record on that very first episode, I would have never believed the lineup of guests that I've been able to get over this past 18 months. Tonight is really no different. I'm absolutely blown away and beyond honored to have legendary broadcaster Scott Oak join me. Scott Oak has been a staple on Canadian television long before I was even born. He's covered several Olympics. He's been a mainstay on Hockey Night in Canada for 24 years. He's a Gemini Award winner, among many other things. He truly is one of Canada's most adored broadcasters. A true legend. Personally, for me, it's his work on Hockey Night in Canada's After Hours that really grabs my attention the most. Scott Oak has been ingrained into the NHL culture and without fail is usually on the ice at every Stanley Cup final. But of course, that's pending COVID. 
Scott Oak's professional resume is undoubtedly unbelievable. Back in 2011, the Oak family suffered a terrible tragedy. Scott and Ann's oldest son, Bruce, tragically passed away of an overdose after battling an addiction for a number of years. I'm going to let Scott tell the story behind it. But after the death of his son, Bruce, Scott and his family rose up. They made a decision to try to use his story to help other people. After starting a foundation and raising enough money, just recently they've been able to open the Bruce Oak Recovery Center in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And I'll tell you what I love the most about this place. It's that it's for everybody. It's not just your upper echelon rehab that costs lots of money. This is legitimately about helping people. Our views are very aligned in that service to others is the key to any recovery. The work that the Oak family is continuing to do is absolutely incredible. They're using their grief, their pain, their story to make a big difference in this sometimes very hard world. Recently, I had the pleasure to talk to Scott on the phone and to hear some of his plans for the future and his passion to make a difference in this world had me so inspired. Well, that's enough for me. You guys know if I don't stop, I never will. So without further ado, it's my greatest honor to introduce you guys to Mr. Scott Oak. Walking in the going on buddy doing great brady how about you doing well yeah. i'm doing well thank you so much again i know we talked briefly before i went live and you had to sit through that painful long intro video that i'm that i'm working trying to get a new one done but um listen no, wait I, wait it's a very compelling story and i wouldn't shorten it uh your recovery is inspiring and well, uh, so congratulations on that first of all um my heart breaks for the Wyland family uh, over the loss of their daughter, obviously. Uh, it's tragic. Um, as for the intro that you did about me, some of it's almost true. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you said about Bruce is true. <laughs> well, that's, um, you know, it's a, it's a very, very um, tragic story. And, you know, my condolences to you once again and, and your entire family. But, you know, you guys kind of made us uh, very conscious effort to use his story and continue to to utilize that to help others and that's uh i think that's a really big step in your own personal journey but wow what a difference uh you're gonna have in so many others lives well i guess when you lose a child you have choices um and one is you can give voice to your grief uh it's not easy to do for a lot of people um but we did it and our goal was always to and try to ensure that what happened to our son doesn't happen to to others um and we feel that uh, we've got a chance to make that goal come true at the bruce oak recovery center well in fact it's coming true because the place has been open now for um but seven weeks it uh will be full 50 uh 50 residents uh by the end of this week um, so uh the first class graduates i think at the end of september it's a beautiful 43,000 square foot uh, facility with a lot of natural light, which you probably know is key in recovery. It's a welcoming place. Um, it's not a dark, dank institutional place, and we're really, really proud of it. And we spend a fair amount of time out there and uh, to, to just to see the, the young men who are getting their lives back is, uh, is inspiring. Well, without question. And if that's the thing, right, is uh, addiction is, I, I honestly don't wish it upon my worst enemies. It's something that is just, 
it's just relentless and it just takes and takes until there's not literally nothing left to take. And I can't imagine, you know, being in your position now, seeing, you know, these lives, you know, these men who come in broken and, and hopeless and, you know, you're giving them a chance to to get back on their feet and actually get, get back into society and have a life, you know, free from addiction. I think the first thing that we should realize when it comes to addiction is that, yes, it's a nasty, ugly disease that causes a lot of trouble. It tears families apart, but it is a disease. The medical definition of addiction is it's a chronic brain disorder. And uh, those who want recovery should have a shot at it in just the same way that those who come down with cancer um, are given treatment. So we you know, we're, we're making progress in that way. I think we're uh, the Bruce Oak Recovery Center in a way is helping to remove the, that stigma that uh, can be so debilitating for, uh, for those suffering from addiction uh, and, uh, and men getting their lives back, going back to their families and once again, becoming productive members of society is uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I'll tell you, you know, when, you know, I've gone to treatment, you know, probably six or seven times in detox, at least 12. Um, and I know what it feels like to to walk into a place like that and, and, and feel hopeless. And I also know what it's like to walk out of, you know, a place like that and feel nothing but hope and, you know, and, and having that, that chance to, to regain my life. And so thank you for, for what you're doing for all those uh, men out there. And, you know, it, it just makes me kind of wonder what, kind of position we're going to be in with this overdose crisis coming out of COVID. You know, I lost just myself, quite a few people that I know just during the pandemic who, you know, were clean for a length of time and, you know, they weren't able to go to the gym. They weren't in meetings regularly like they used to be. And, you know, they were not working and all of a sudden, you know, they find themselves picking up and it's the last time that they ever did because it took their life. And so, what are you seeing um, this pandemic kind of do uh, in the addiction, addiction community, Scott? Oh, well, we always say that uh, the demand for addiction services before the pandemic struck was already overwhelming. I don't even know what words to use to describe it on, as we come out on the other, the other side of the pandemic. And presumably we are acute, uh, doesn't even do it justice. Um, do you know, and well, I'm sure you do, but most people would be surprised to know that between uh, March of 20 and April of 21, the heart of the pandemic, more people under the age of 65 in Canada died from alcohol, alcoholism and substance abuse than died of COVID. So we've got to stay on top of this. The demand is, is uh, well, again, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, we, we we need to be active here. We need to uh, to save uh, the people who are going to be lost to uh, to substance abuse, it's uh, I, I I shudder to think uh, what some families are going through now. Um, you know, we lived it. Uh, we lost our son, a beautiful firstborn son. Um, whenever I hear the stories of those who uh, of families who are losing uh, loved ones now, uh, my heart breaks. Uh, I've spent a lot of time. Um, reading obituaries and crying um, because it doesn't have to happen. Uh, and I think people would be surprised to, to, to know that more people who are suffering from addiction, from substance abuse, want recovery than you would think. Uh, 
the part of the stigma is that, well, they're happy doing nothing and just using drugs. And it's not the way it is for most people. We live in a country, you know, where 95% of those who need treatment don't get it. We got to do better. We just have to do better. 100%. And I know there's, um, I know Michelle and Tom Miner are watching. She's saying, Hey Brady, um, their son, Daniel played for the Barry Colts and about five months ago, passed away from an overdose as well. And so they're, you know, they're going through obviously a, a very hard time, but they, Actually, they came up a couple weeks back um, and spent a couple days up here in Gravenhurst, Ontario, and, and we were able to hang out and, and go for lunch and kind of chat and stuff. And uh, they've become quite close to me. So I know they're watching and 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 probably listening intently to you. Um, I'm sure of it. So I just want to give them a special shout out. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it it's it's so needless, you know, and, and it just makes me wonder you know, well, because I know that you guys did a lot of work, you know, trying to build this center, raising money, getting, you know, boots on the ground, talking to people, going to the government. Um, what was that experience like? And and how open are is society maybe to to the idea of, you know, addiction centers and, and, and how how much are they willing to to realize that this is a huge need? I don't think that anyone denies there's a huge need. That picture that you're showing now was taken last summer. Uh, that's uh, on the occasion of the Manitoba government uh, giving uh, our foundation $3.5 million, which really ensured that we could continue construction of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center and wouldn't have any pauses. We could get it through to the finish line, and we did. Um, so basically the story is that when Bruce uh, died, um, we had an idea that we wanted to do something like this, it remained an idea for a number of years. You know, we we went around in circles, I guess is the best way to put it. You'd have a meeting with somebody and then meet with someone else. And pretty soon you're back meeting with the first person you met. Finally, uh, in 2017, we got traction because we hooked up with someone who knew how to navigate the halls of the legislature and city hall. And then things really started to happen. And we spoke at a few dinners and people started to donate and, uh, uh, the city agreed to give us a piece of surplus property on, on which the Bruce Oak Recovery Center now stands. And uh, we we went from concept to proof of concept when construction began in uh, January of 20. Work on the foundation began in January of 20. And that's an artist rendering, but that's pretty much exactly what the Bruce Oak Recovery Center looks like right now um, yeah. from a distance in, in the neighborhood in which it sits. It's called Crestview in, uh, in Winnipeg. It's um, beautiful. We, we raised... Uh, 16 million dollars in about a year and a half and we raised 10 of that in about 10 months wow uh, the overwhelming thing was that whenever ann and i met with a potential donor we rarely well in fact we never got a no we never got a rejection because you don't have to shake some, somebody's family tree too hard to get an addict or an alcoholic to fall out right yep i say uh, it all the time yeah. i say that all the yeah. time I mean, everybody watching tonight or listening tonight will have in some way been affected by alcoholism, addiction, substance abuse. It's just a fact of life. And so uh, Winnipeggers, Manitobans, and to an extent Canadians gave and gave from the heart. Um, and there we were uh, with enough money to get the place built and get it open without a mortgage. Now we were, are faced with uh, some fundraising commitments in order to keep the place running. But uh, people are still giving. And we're confident that we can meet those commitments and uh, the place will will be in operation forever. That's I'd amazing. also say this. we uh, 
the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, it's a 50-bed facility. Uh, it has two cornerstones. It, it, it offers a continuum of care. You stay in the program for as long as it takes to get it right. It's not 21 days, 45, 90 days, and get out. Um, it's however long it takes. And the second cornerstone is that uh, those who can't afford to pay are not turned away. They're covered by a combination of social assistance and fundraising, which is why we have to meet a certain fundraising commitment every year to pay for those who can't afford to pay. But no one's left behind at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. So we think it's a beautiful thing. We think in a way it's a game changer in the world of addiction recovery, but we don't need one Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Yeah, We need probably 10. Uh, we're starting with one and, and yeah. we'll see, see where we get yeah, to be honest with you, Bruce, there probably needs to be about, you know, maybe like a thousand of them in this country for the problems that we're really having. If we look at a deep level and it's, uh, you know, I'm, it, it's heartbreaking, right? When, when I just think about it, because I know, I know what you said there and I, I, you know, listened to some things that you've done in different shows you've been on podcasts and things. And, you know, somebody asked you once like, something along the lines of, you know, how easy was it to get to Bruce to go to, to rehab every time you, you thought there was, you know, you needed to go. And, you know, you always, you always responded with, okay, like he knew that he almost wanted to go. Is that correct? That is true. Um, Bruce, you mentioned a number of times that you've been to, uh, to rehab and to detox. Bruce had probably eight or nine stints in detox, uh, four times in treatment. Uh, first time he went to a private expensive facility just outside of Toronto, six weeks cost us $25,000. But when your child is suffering, you'll do whatever it takes to, to get him straightened out, to get his health back. Um, so, you know, we, we paid, um, but as it turned out, it was just the start of a journey that, that ended tragically, um, another stint in a private facility in Nova Scotia and, uh, things it just wasn't working he he basically would treat these stints in treatment as a chance to get um get dry and and clean i won't say sober because i don't think he ever fully bought into any of the 12 steps he 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 went to treatment more to satisfy us he loved us so much that he wanted to please us but he never fully bought in to treatment for himself uh, so um, after the second stint in private treatment, um, we I had been working at the Olympics in Beijing and Bruce at the time was going off the rails and my wife, God love her, kept it from me because she knew um, that I had to focus on my job there. So she told me when I was on the way home that he's gone off the rails and we got to do something. So we... Uh, I sent him a text. It was hard to get him on the phone then. And I, and I sent him a text in which I said, that's it for us. No more money, no more anything. The best offer you're going to get from us is we're going to try to find you a sober uh, living facility slash long-term treatment center because these these short stints in private treatment aren't working. Uh, he tried to get over on us for a few days. Um, and finally, uh, two or three days later, he went to detox, stayed there for um, I think it was 10, 11 days, uh, longer than necessary or longer than they would usually stay. Anyone would usually stay in detox, but you know how detox works, right? If, if, uh, those working on the unit know you're going somewhere after they'll do everything to, to make yeah. sure that you leave. So I went down to Nova Scotia and I took him to a place in Calgary called Simon house. And, uh, he was there for a year. 
Uh, and during that year, we had hope. Uh, Simon House offers a program similar to the one that we're offering in at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, uh, staffed by uh, those in recovery. So um, he couldn't get over on them the way he could, in, you know, in the private, as he often was able to in private facilities, because they took one look at him at Simon House and said, we got your bullshit, right? We yeah. know what you're all about. Yeah. So he had a good year. Um, and and he failed a drug test about a year in and had to leave. Uh, we remain convinced as a family that if he had stayed for another year, he'd still be alive, which is why we are married to the continuum of care as a cornerstone of the Bruce Oak Recovery Center and uh, long-term yeah. treatment, um, alumni association, uh, peer support, et cetera, is so vitally important in recovery. And uh, we'll emphasize that at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. I think that answer probably went about 10 minutes. Did you lose track anywhere in there? No, not at all. I, I absolutely love it. That's why, you know, you're a pro. So this, this is the, the easiest interview I've ever done. I prefer you do the talking. Nobody wants to sit, listen to me talk. They get enough of that on this show. No, I, I absolutely love it, man. I, I'm like lost. Like I'm a listener to the show. I'm just like listening. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm actually interviewing this guy. I feel like I'm watching you on TV and telling you this awesome story. I just appreciate it. Um, you know what I really I, I heard? Another thing about the Bruce Oak Recovery Center is that, you know, a lot of the people who are working there are also in recovery. Yes, that is true. Um, our program is modeled after one in Calgary. Uh, Fresh Start Recovery Center has been, I think, around for a quarter of a century. Uh, has often been recognized uh, with awards that have singled it out as the number one recovery center in Canada. They have a 57% success rate. It's not uh, nonsense either. It's not measured on a 21 day or a 45 day or a 90 day program. Cause you know, if someone comes in uh, to a short program like that and leaves clean, you could claim a stat, I guess, but fresh starts stats are measured uh, on sobriety one year after wow. entering the program. 57% astronomical in the world of addiction recovery. No so we're, kidding. that's the, the essence of Fresh Start is the program that we're running at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center and the counselors at Fresh Start, the staff at Fresh Start collectively have something like, I'm probably going to get this figure wrong, but at one point it was something like 330, 350 years of recovery under their belts. Wow. Counselors are all, uh, all in recovery. So we made that a priority. Um, I shouldn't say we did, but our executive director, who uh, his name is Greg Kylo, um, himself 15 years in recovery and uh the people he hired as counselors are all in recovery and so we're we're happy that uh that uh, that's the way it is at bruce oak well i'm from you know being in different facilities and trying everything in the sun to get clean myself um with absolutely no disrespect to those in the field that you know don't have the lived experience i, I still you know got a lot mm -hmm. from a lot of different people um, but primarily the connections that I made and people were able to get like breakthrough to me and help me on the deepest levels that I needed to be. We're all, you know, recovering addicts who had walked, you know, walked in my shoes. And um, so I think I think that's a huge piece um, that, you know, will enable that your center to be even more successful. I truly believe that. And I think, you know, pretty much every addict's going to echo exactly what I just said as well. So I think that's great. Yeah. I don't think there's uh, any substitute for lived experience. Yeah. You know, uh, I would also point out that Ann and I and Darcy don't 
know a great deal about recovery, only what we witnessed in Bruce's tragic journey. We can tell Bruce's story and people can take from that, uh, you know, what they want to and, and do with the information as ever they please. But we're not experts in recovery. And uh, I always want to uh, point out, be, be very careful to let people know that we've got nothing to do with running the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. What we're responsible for is having lunch, shaking hands when you can at the end of the pandemic <laughs> and asking for money. That's what we're experts at. I shouldn't say experts, but that's what we do best. And, uh, you know, the, the running of the place is left to, uh, to Greg and his staff. Well, it's, it's pretty great. Like, how is it, how has it been for your, you know, your recovery journey after losing Bruce, you know, being able to do something like this in his name, like how has that affected maybe, you know, your life, your, your wife's life. You mentioned your other son, Darcy, who I wanted to get to a little later. He's incredible, by the way, been watching his stuff. Oh, I just, I don't get it. Like I know it's, he's a, just a world renowned illusionist and some of my favorite stuff. And it just, I watch it and I'm just like, forget it. Like, absolutely. I don't get it. So amazing stuff. But how has it, how has it maybe impacted your guys' lives? The three of you guys, have you been able to come together to, to, to do this? Has it been good for you? Yeah, it's been good for the heart. I mean, obviously we would give everything we have in the world just to have one more day with Bruce, but that's not going to happen. And so we want to honor him, um, the best way we can and we thought this was it yeah sure there was a, a a lot of occasions during um the lead up to the to the building of the place that we thought boy will we ever get this done we had for example a, a year-long battle at city hall to get the property and then after that pretty much another year to get it rezoned where we faced uh, during those two years uh, a lot of opposition but you have to expect some nimbyism when you're trying to establish a recovery center in the middle of a residential neighborhood. <laughs> it's hard for people who uh, don't know much about drug culture uh, to, um, you know, accept that uh, people have their best chance at recovery when they're in a community, when they're included, not excluded, not sent to rural areas to, you know, uh, figure it on their, figure it out on their, not on their own, but it's just better to be in a community. We eventually got that message through, so uh, we're proud of that uh, that educational campaign that 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 we had to run uh, to win a lot of people over, and we won enough of them uh, over that uh, the building got built. Um, I guess even before Bruce passed away, when he was on his uh, his his journey, the one thing that uh, we could always say was that we were together in what had to be done. Um, we never disagreed. There was never one of those arguments about, well, he's uh, addicted because you did this or you were never home, which I never was. <laughs> you know, um, My wife was functioned for months on end as a single parent because of my job. But, you know, there was no finger pointing. We did whatever we had to do uh, for his good to keep him alive. We did it in concert. And uh, never spent any time pointing fingers or, or giving it the old woulda, coulda, shoulda. And uh, that sort of attitude, I guess, extended to uh, the, the project itself to get the, the recovery center built. Um, so, yeah, good for the heart, uh, inspiring. Um, sure, we'd, you know, we wish none of this ever happened, but um, it's Bruce's legacy. And, uh, and as I said at the outset here, what happened to him doesn't have to happen to the 180 to 200 men who will pass through the Bruce Oak Recovery Center every year. 
it's um it's pretty amazing and you know i want to get into a couple other things but that you know i also saw somewhere too that you know there's um you know there's a a piece of bruce uh in the recovery center and there's sort of this kind of oh he's in there that's right yeah, yeah his uh his urn is the first thing you see when you come in on your immediate left and uh uh, his urn sat uh, in our family room here for 10 years and just uh, about, uh, I guess, a month ago, five weeks ago, we took it out um, when the, uh took a while to get the podium built and whatever, but uh, it arrived. And so we had a little ceremony where we, we uh, put his urn there. And uh, when you come into the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, he's on your, on your left and uh, he's, you know, in the middle of the action where he always wanted to be, but the, uh, the unsaid, the unwritten message is you do your work in here, or this could be you. Yeah, it's, that's the, that's the very, very harsh reality when it comes to addiction, especially addiction of, of this, this kind, um, opiates. And it's, um, it's a, it's a scary, scary place right now to be, in addiction and you know it's people always ask me like when was like enough enough and it never was you know it was always if always never gonna happen to me right and it's it it's just i don't know it, when i hear you say that it's it's just such a harsh reminder of how lucky i am really to be sitting here i know the, the miners are watching as well and and michelle there's a couple comments and stuff but i just want to get to the one because michelle has a question for you she said uh wrong one there um up here she says does the crying and guilt feelings ever stop scott mm. um well uh two parts to that answer, I guess that there, there's no guilt. Uh, as I said, a moment ago, we did whatever we could to keep Bruce alive. We had some horrid fights, but everything that we said or did was out of love yeah. was out of one goal. And that's to keep him alive, to get him on the straight and narrow. Um, so that's, and my wife feels the same. So because we, you know, we both have that, uh, as a, um, as a feeling, uh, I guess it's it's helped us, uh, but we grieve every day. Absolutely, we have holes in our hearts that will never heal. As for the crying, um, when Bruce died, and had a really she, my wife's a palliative care nurse or was a palliative care nurse, and um, she uh, she went back to work. Uh, it was really hard because she'd spent a lot of time just laying on uh, on the bed crying, uh, but she, you know, she. She went back to work with the dying in palliative care. She was caring for people who, you know, had less than six months to live and the dying element of it was too much for her. So she eventually retired. Um, as for me, you know, I went back to work um, a week after um, because that's what I thought I had to do. Um, but crying. Yeah, I can hear a song and go like that. And I do it frequently. Wow. So the answer to that is no, it never stops and it never will. It doesn't get um, any easier, uh, but um, when we see the, uh, the man at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center, knowing they got a shot and that uh, 
what happened to Bruce doesn't have to happen to them. That that's inspiring for us, and you know we we uh, I guess we feel better. Well, I'm takes a takes a strong family, uh, you know, to rally and and to do what you guys have done and and to pick up and try to make something good come of the the worst possible situation and. Um, the worst thing that can happen to any family is losing a child and uh it's the wrong order right not supposed to happen that way um but it does and so you know you you do the best you can and i guess that's what we're doing but i also want to point out uh that you know we get a lot of congratulations from people and darcy and i and it's almost embarrassing because we've had a lot of expertise uh people on our board who have certain areas of expertise who have given very generously of their time and uh you know ensured that this place got built so a lot of other people did some really serious heavy lifting i'll repeat what i said earlier while we were having lunch and asking for money so you know it's uh, this was a community project and uh it wouldn't uh, the bruce oak recovery center would not have been built were it not for our uh, our board of directors uh volunteers and people who donated you know, we get, on a daily basis, we get uh, $20, $50, $100 donations. Those denominations are called, someone said, organic or grassroots donations. <clears throat> if you're given 20 bucks, 50 bucks, you probably got to think long and hard about whether you can afford it. And so those donations mean as much to us as the the six and seg, seven figure donations mean to the people who who, who committed to those uh, because of you know it's tight times and people give what they can we appreciate every dollar we get and we see it as the will of the community the community mm-hmm. voting on the need for the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Wow, what's there? Uh, is the is the center in an ice rink? By the way. Was it an old ice rink or something? It's an old ice rink, yes. So what happened was we went to the city and uh, we we thought, give us a leg up if you could give us a piece of surplus property. And uh, the city, this is a complicated process and people's ears would bleed if I started trying to explain it because I hardly even understand it myself. But the city, because health, it's a provincial jurisdiction, had to get the province involved. Uh, so they worked together to get us this piece of property. It was uh, one of the properties on the list of surplus properties and um, an ice rink. And when we saw it, uh, well, before we saw it, our first reaction when it was, we saw it on the list of what could we do with an old ice rink, <coughs> an old uh, community arena. And then when we saw it, we knew we had to have it. Not so much for the building itself, because it was way past its best before date. It had been boarded up for, uh, I think four or five years and was never going to reopen. There were no plans for it to reopen. We wanted it though, because of the property uh, it's uh, in a serene location, doesn't border directly on anybody's home. Close to houses are, I think there's a couple about an eighth of a mile away from it. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, it's, uh, it's surrounded by a system of trails. It's on a bus route. Um, it's it's just beautiful. You stand in some of the rooms at the Bruce Recovery Center and look at the landscape out there, and it's just that in itself is enough to say, man, there's hope here. You know, we 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 have hope. 
100%. It's, um, you know, when you, when you're in a place like that, you also, you may, you highlighted the fact of natural light and yeah, I don't think even most people, even most addicts realize how much that has an effect on, on us, especially in, in early recovery and recovery, just getting that, that natural light because the life of an addict, you're typically alone or in the dark or, you know, hiding out. Um, and, and it just, it's such a, such a beautiful thing. So it really sounds like you guys put a lot of thought into the place as well, which is. Well, we have a, a, part, a partnership with Fresh Start um, uh, in Calgary. And I mentioned how our program is modeled after theirs. Uh, but one of the first things uh, Stacy Peterson and Bruce Holstead, who run Fresh Start, said to us when we were getting close to, you know, building the place, moving from concept to proof of concept, they said, build a place where you'd want to live not some institutional place that looks like a hospital or a school or you know, worse yet a prison, um, make it look like it's a place you want to live. And uh, I remember the first time I went to Fresh Start, um, I was in a cab and uh, the cab driver had some trouble finding it. And uh, he pulled up in front of this gorgeous, looked like luxurious townhouses. And I said, no, that can't be it. Keep going. <laughs> But that was it, right? <laughs> and so uh, we promised the residents of the area where the Bruce Oak Recovery Center sits stands now that we would build a place, a building that would be a credit to the neighborhood, that would enhance the neighborhood. Um, and I, I would like to think that um, most of them in that area look at that building now, and if they weigh it against what was there before, which was um, an arena that was never going to reopen, it was dark at night, and this is not to disparage the neighborhood because this is what happens around any large darkened buildings in residential areas, all manner of bad behavior going on there at night. <clears throat> and if they think back to that and look at what's there now, I, I honestly have to think that they're saying to themselves, this is not bad. This has made the neighborhood better. For sure. That's a great, that's a great way to look at it because, you know, there's probably a, a lot of people in active addiction at night up there, you know, and, and using it for, like you said, bad things. And now it's yeah. being utilized to, to help people. It's a, it's a great exchange in my books. And, you know, you're always going to have people complain and not everyone's going to like what, what you're doing, but the overall thing is you guys are doing such a, just a wonderful thing. And I know um, we talked about just briefly Darcy earlier, but I know that he does a lot um, remembering Bruce and his illusions and stuff. It's, mm. uh, it's pretty cool to see, like, you know, he's, He's very, very good. Like how, just briefly, like how did, how does one become an illusionist like that? Well, he tells the story and every time he tells it, he gets younger. Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting someday he'll be in the womb when this happened, but uh, <laughs> the story essentially is true. Uh, I, I don't know, seven, eight, whatever age he was, he was young. And uh, we were sitting at the kitchen table uh, my wife and I, and we played a lot of gin, uh, yeah. Ann and I do. And, uh, th so there's a deck of cards on the table and, um, uh, I shuffled them and fooled around with them. I have no magic, right? I don't know anything, but, uh, just for the heck of it, I said, okay, here, pick a card, any card. And he did. And I said, now I'm going to pick your card out. And I shuffled the cards. So I basically had a one in 52 chance of picking his card. And I did. And he oh, wow. was gobsmacked. 
and uh, that got him going. Wow! <laughs> I think in a couple of weeks he had about ten, nine killer card tricks that he was doing at parties, and people loved it. And he kind of liked that. And um, Darcy's a good athlete. He was uh, uh, identified as one of the top diving prospects in the province. Okay. He, he was in diving for a number of years, but when the uh, when it got serious and the yelling started, he didn't like it. So <laughs> yelling by the coaches. So uh, he. Uh, he joined a, a magic club at the Greendale community club here in Winnipeg. He won a few contests and that was it. He was off and running and wow. it wasn't long before we had, uh, I shouldn't say it wasn't long, it took a while, but at one point we had in our house, um, 10 doves in the basement, three parakeets upstairs and two peeking ducks in the backyard. <laughs> Holy. <laughs> he, he was taken to the next level, but I mean, just for oh, yeah. people that don't know, like he was on uh, Britain's Got Talent, was like a finalist, and like he's like the real deal. Like this is what he's doing full time now, right? Yeah, he uh, <clears throat> he's carving out a nice living at this. Uh, he's uh, Britain's Got Talent was his big break, but he does a lot of corporate shows and TV stuff. So you know, he's he's busy. Um, guest starred recently on uh, the show Hudson and Rex, which airs on City TV. Um, he was, uh, he played a magician in that, uh, surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's, but he has, you know, all sorts of opportunities like that. And he's, uh, he's doing well. I mean, look, when he was a kid, we used to say this magic thing. Okay. It's a good idea, but you better have a plan B, but there never was a plan B. Um, and, uh, you know, the odds of him making it in, in the world of entertainment, in his case, illusion, uh, as a kid, you know, every lots of kids have fascinations with magic, but it ends at a certain age. His never did. No plan B. <clears throat> Britain's Got Talent comes along, uh, big break, and he's gone from there. So wow. he's been lucky. He's been lucky, but he's talented. Yeah. Well, it, and as you know, got... luck is where preparation meets opportunity, right? So, said, That's it. Uh, yeah. That's it. So, I mean, you, you got to maybe have a little bit of luck, but you, you got to do that. You have to, you have to be very very good well he's got he's got uh skill and he's got a warehouser in winnipeg where he uh goes and uh comes up with different uh illusions and concepts that he works on and uh you know he's uh yeah it's his life and he's doing okay by it that's great what um i just want to shift into you a little bit about your career before i let you go and that I, i really appreciate your time yeah, I just I'm fascinated by when when you really take a take a step back and look at your body of work and uh, all the amazing people that you know you've been involved with over the years and the the vast amount of experience is being like right in the thick of it, man. Like like Stanley Cup Finals, uh, you know, there when that magic moment happens. Like, what's what's your favorite part about your job, Scott? Well, I, I do like the Stanley Cup celebration. Uh, didn't do it this year because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much longer I'm going to work. I mean, you know, I'm a lot closer to the end of my career than the start. But uh, I've been lucky. I've been really lucky. Um, you know, when you talk about, I just said, luck is where preparation meets opportunity. Uh, I, I've had a lot of opportunities that, uh, you know, just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and I've, if I had to name the list of people who have influenced me or carried me on their back, like a piano, uh, <laughs> during my career, it would start sounding like the phone book. So, um, I like everything about my job. I like the camaraderie with the guys that I work with. Yeah. 
I, I still just, even though I've been doing this now for over 40 years, still get a, <clears throat> a real blast out of when the show's over and you know, it's gone. Okay. And it's, and people have learned something or been entertained and still feel good about it. I so, love, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No. Go ahead. So I, it, it's the, it, I don't, uh, I have not become blasé about it. Um, I, uh, I realize how lucky I am to have this job and that, uh, you know, that, that there are countless other people who would, you know, cherish the opportunity, but, uh, and they'll get it soon enough because I'm not going to do it forever, but, um, I'm love my career. Yeah. Well, you're so, you're so great at it. You're just, uh, my favorite thing. I, I love after hours. It's been, it's honestly my favorite part about I think a hockey game when you get to see you know players sit down and and just and just have a a long a little bit longer form interview. It's not just the two minute cliche, you know. Yeah, we got to get the pucks in deep and you know all that kind of stuff. So you get to see players on a more personal level. But before you know we wrap this up and stuff, I got to ask you. And I know that you're very close with him, but he was like my arch nemesis when I played with Swift Current. And he was with Brandon because I know we were we did not get along on the ice. But tell me a little bit about your relationship with Ryan Reeves. Well, Ryan's like a member of our family. He grew up kitty corner to us. Uh, Willard and uh, Brenda, two kids, Ryan and Jordan. Um, uh, Ryan was in between Bruce and Darcy. <clears throat> he was always a presence around us, you know, in our house a lot, <laughs> hanging around with both the boys. Um, very close to us. So when I interview Ryan, I uh, it's kind of like I'm talking to one of my own kids, and any pretense of journalism goes right out the window. Um, and I think people understand that. <clears throat> Pardon me. I had a massive throat infection last week uh two oh, weeks man. ago actually and uh i just the other day got my voice back to my wife's chagrin she liked it when i couldn't speak um <laughs> anyway so uh you know ryan is uh i feel like it's part of our family and so we uh you know we just we kibitz on the air and um People are entertained by it, I think. Yeah, so. Sure, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. He's uh, he's quite the character and somebody that's carved out a very, very nice career for yeah. himself. Coming out of you know, junior and and stuff, you, you know, he's done very well for himself. I'm I'm a Ryan Reeves fan, even though me and him, but man, did we butt heads on the ice? Like we, yeah, we yeah. we did not get along, but. Very uh, nice to see well, him. You, I think a lot of people would say that about Ryan, who played against him, and, and me yeah. too. So yeah. it was it was one of the ones that was one of the the most epic battles going back and forth in my time in the WHL. Where, to be honest with you, they did a best of the West poll like every year out in the West, like where they would give surveys to teams. In my last year when I was with Kelowna, I got voted number one most hated player by the players who voted. They they do it by teams, which I thought was pretty awesome in a way, but. Um, <laughs> take that as a compliment <laughs> right i yeah. guess i guess but um are you gonna be so you mentioned you might not you don't know how long you're gonna work are you back are you back at cbc this season coming up or well, what? my contract now is with rogers and sportsnet rogers okay yeah. so uh we're in discussion currently so we'll see how it goes but yeah um yeah so i you know whenever it ends for me i will take a page out of uh a good friend of mine uh and I've got to know him over the years when we meet at different events. Michael Farber uh, used to work on staff Sports Illustrated. Now he freelances. <clears throat> he and I were talking one day in Los Angeles there for a Kings game. And uh, he said, 
the, the question that both of us were entertaining was what would you say if it ended today? And uh, he said, I'd say, um, had a blast, saw the world in somebody else's time, made a lot of great friends and, uh, you know, uh, loved my career, no hard feelings. And that's, that's what I'll be stealing that when I'm done. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you've been said, you said it, you've been doing over, over 40 years now, you know, and, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Is there one moment in, in your career that maybe stands out more than any others? Olympics, Stanley cup finals. Is, is there one moment that, that sticks out more than any other one? Um, not that really stands that much above others because I've, you know, been able to cover 14, 15 Olympics and countless Stanley cup finals, world championships, whatever, but, uh, and, uh, and gray cups. Um, I did get to call Karen Lee Gartner's Olympic gold in the downhill in Albertville in 1992. And that was special. Um, but I can't look at it because, uh, I had a bad cold, almost like the one I had a couple of weeks ago. And I, I yodeled her across the finish line. Um, <laughs> Uh, my voice cracked and broke and it wasn't pretty. And, uh, afterwards the head of sports said to me, geez, did you pop a testicle there? <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of thought, Oh, I don't know. It was that bad. <laughs> That's uh, but, uh, I remember that because it was a magnificent victory by someone who really took on the best in the world. The Austrians, the Germans at that point were, were, uh, ruling, uh, women's downhill and Karen, uh, this little waif from Rosslyn, BC, um, beat them all. And then uh, she and Max uh, subsequently uh, became good friends of mine. So I remember that. Uh, but a lot of other moments, like you know, any one of those Stanley Cup uh, celebrations, uh, interview with TJ Oshie when he talked about his father a couple yeah. of years ago. Yes. Um, I don't. I'd be hard pressed though to come up with say the ten top moments because yeah. I just I love what I'm doing and I don't really. Uh, never really focus on on you know that was great or whatever yeah it's i can i couldn't imagine what that would look like have a top 10 you know scott oak moments what would that look like well how about the top 10 screw-ups by me that'd be easier to find (laughs) (laughs) i don't know about that what about your time with i thought you were great with snoop dogg by the way too i thought that was hilarious well that was uh so our producer shirelli najak said to me uh, snoop is coming to the game tonight i want you to interview him I was in, this was in 2007, right? So that's 13, what, 14 years ago. And, uh, um, I knew Snoop Dogg. I, I knew, you know, I knew the, I'm a fan of pop culture. So I knew the basics, but I didn't know what the heck I was going to ask him. So I phoned Darcy and Darcy said, if I told Darcy, I was going, going to talk to Jesus Christ reincarnate, he couldn't have been any more excited, uh, than he was over me talking to Snoop Dogg. So he said, write this down. Um, I'll make this quick because I know you got to get out of here in a second. But uh, he said, write this down. Uh, I said, okay. And he goes, I'm with the dog father, D-O-double-Jizzy. Big ups on this grunt planet. What's crackling (laughs) nephew? And so he said, now read it back to me. And I read it back to him just like that. And he said, if you say it like that, he's going to think you're making fun of him. He'll he'll, he'll be furious. So (laughs) you got to put something into it. So uh, I, I got in front of the mirror. And I didn't care about anything else about the game that night. All I cared about was I had to get this right. And uh, 
<clears throat> I practiced for about two hours. Some guy in the U.S. wrote in a paper the next day that I, it was a pathetic attempt by someone who sounded like he practiced in front of the mirror for an hour. And I took offense to that because I practiced in front of the mirror for two hours. Um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, to make a long story short, which is already impossible, I, I went over to sit down to interview him before I think the start of the second period. He was a really engaging guy. We had a wonderful conversation. He said, if I come to Canada, you got to come to one of my shows, whatever. Uh, so I thought, okay, we, we seem to have a bit of a connection here. I'll, I'll try it. Because I was debating as to whether I should even do it, right? <laughs> and uh, I, so I thought, the heck with it. So I said, when we came back from commercial, I said, welcome back. I'm with one of the world's great contemporary musicians. I'm with the dog father, D-O-double-Jizzy. Big ups on this crunk planet. What's crackling nephew? And uh, he looked at me for a second, and I thought, oh, my God. I blow it. And he goes, I'm doing good, baby. And I love the way you said that. And then <laughs> I was safe. <laughs> That's hilarious. What That's a- the highlight of my career right there, actually. I I, I buried the lead. <laughs> That's so funny. You yeah. know, you're doing you're doing hockey and, and you end up talking to Snoop Dogg, right? It's uh <laughs> You never know where that job's really gonna take you, right? And that's maybe part of uh, how fun it really is and, yeah, and how great absolutely. it is. Yeah. And how great it is. But I mean, yeah, I got all sorts of time, by the way, but I I'm more I'm more conscientious of your time and and that. But before we before we wrap up, is there anything that, that you would say to, to parents out there maybe who who are struggling with uh, somebody that has an addiction or some maybe they've lost someone from an addiction? Like what, what's the overall message here? Don't hide it. Ask yeah. for help. Learn as much as you can. Um, make sure that uh, the uh, your loved one, uh, whether it's your son or your daughter, whoever, whoever it happens to be, and, and we did get this through to Bruce. I, I know we did. Look, if you need help, come to us, and we'll make sure that you get it. That's why he went, as I said earlier, to treatment uh, four times and eight or seven or eight times in detox. Um Sadly, as I said earlier, it's for us more than it was for him. But stay in touch and uh, and let your kid know you're there for uh, uh, for whatever help they require. We heard several times when Bruce was uh, really struggling and going off the rails. We heard from experts, so-called experts, who would say, "Cut him off, you know, let go. Uh, he'll have to figure it out." We never did that. We never lost touch with Bruce because. It's a lot easier to say something like that than it is for a parent to do it. Inherently, as a parent, I think you want to know that your where your kid is. Is he safe? Where is he sleeping tonight? Right? Is he is he okay? And uh, we were always preoccupied by that, and Bruce knew it. So yeah, stay as close as you can to your kid, and uh, and educate yourself as best you can to the, the perils of of substance abuse and addiction, and uh, and let your kid know that uh, you're there for help uh, whatever help is required such a great message because being an addiction and stuff my dad you know he's a retired firefighter he's a scout for the saskatoon blades like (laughs) very high up in the firefighters union a pretty well respected guy and so when i was going through all this it was obviously very hard on him and you know having to be in the hockey rinks and it was you know me going to jail front page news and everything else and it's you know, it's, it's hard. Um, but the overall message that I hear there is, you know, is to talk about it openly and, and don't hide it. Right. And I just, I can't tell you how many times I wanted to just hide my addiction from those that I cared about most because I couldn't feel like it was just so, uh, it was just so horrible to have to know that you're letting them down. And so, you know, you, you'll, 
I lied and, and things just progressively get worse. And even though you know, they know you're lying, but you keep, it's just because you don't want to let them down. And, you know, I just to hear you say to just be able to be open and honest, whether from the addict speaking to the parents or the parents back to somebody who's struggling, it's, it's such a powerful thing is to stay on top of, on top of them and have that open line of communication and, and make them feel comfortable. And um, I, I really believe Scott that, you know, more needs to be done at a, at a younger age. You know, like I, I just think that, you know, more, more education for sure, just, you know, and empowering people to know that one, this can happen to you. So empower them to go a different way, or maybe most importantly, that if it does happen to them, empower them to know that they're not alone and that they can reach out and, and get the help that they need. And, and that goes for family members too, because, you know, I, what I'm seeing now, now that, you know, I'm almost 18 months out of it and dealing with other people now who are in addiction. And in one case, you know, having to be like right in it, trying to help somebody, you know, I, I realized how bad I really was, you know, and, and how hard and, and, and tough it would have been on those that really cared about me, like my parents and friends and, and everybody. And it just really put things into perspective. So, you know, there's not necessarily an easy answer for it, but I absolutely love what you said with, you know, not hiding it, you know, is that something before you go, let like looking back that, you know, well, Bruce was going through an addiction. Was it something that your family kind of hid before it was, you know, out in the open? Well, people, again, I, I guess this goes back to people saying what a wonderful thing we've done at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Um, and sometimes <laughs> our response is, you know, uh, and congratulate us for telling Bruce's story. And um, the joke in our family is we just can't shut up, right? There's a lot of talking in this house. There always has been. So we never hid Bruce's uh, problems. Uh, um, can frame it this way that, you know, my wife, say she's at the grocery store. This happened a number of times. People would ask about Bruce and Anne would say, Bruce is struggling with uh, an addiction problem or doing everything we can to help him. That would either touch off a conversation where people would offer help and and be sincerely more interested, or they they almost turn on their heels and go the other way. Yeah. Then you know who your friends are, right? Absolutely. Then you, then you know who the quality people are. So uh, no, we never hit it. And uh, after he died, we uh, we started telling the story in public, as that was the the uh, the precursor of the of our entire project. Uh, we would speak at dinners and uh, at, at meetings and, and tell a story and tell it very graphically. We didn't leave anything out, <clears throat> you know, about um, time he was assaulted. And, uh, you know, we had police living in the house for four days, four nights till he was able to get out of uh, uh, detox and get to treatment. Um all manner of details like that, that uh, were, were very graphic, but we always felt that um, it was a disease he had. And so why hide behind it? When Bruce died in, um, well, 10 years ago, March of 2011, um, he died of an overdose in Calgary. And so we, we had to go get him. And on the plane, Ann and I wrote his obituary and the first line, we decided we were resolute in our belief and Darcy and I, in our belief that there was no shame in what had claimed his life. We weren't going to hide behind it. And so the first line of his obituary reads, tragically, Bruce Oak lost his battle with addiction at the tender age of 25. And that was really, I guess, the, the start of the entire project. 
because you know, things went from there. And now Bruce Oak is open and saving lives. Wow. It's um, honestly, Scott, I, I, I very rarely am, you know, left with nothing to say, but it's, you know, just thank you for, for finding the strength and, and, you know, from somebody who's been in the de- the deepest pits of addiction, um, knowing that there's people like you out there trying to make a difference. Um, it's a very, just a very good feeling knowing that that's, you know, happening and the world seriously needs more people like you and Anne and Darcy and, all of those that are that are working at the center, I think, as we touched on earlier, coming out of COVID, it's it's not going to be pretty. It hasn't been pretty during COVID. Suicides and overdoses are are through the roof, and we don't really know what that looks like. But I seriously, from somebody who's struggling with addiction, thank you from the bottom of my heart, and I, I just once again send my deepest condolences to you and the family. And I I know that you know these days may be getting a little easier, but still certainly difficult i know the minor family they're all watching and they're so grateful that you know you came on and, and you're giving them great strength uh dan's sister says thank you scott great advice um michelle his mom says that is one thing we would never do talking about kicking dan out or kicking them kicking, yeah. you know turning their back on the attic dan's wife Haley is also watching she says beautiful message scott so you know i i know that you've you're doing a lot out there in Manitoba, but just know that I'm sure this conversation tonight um, has has touched them, I'm sure, and given them great strength. And I can only imagine how many people you guys have already touched and will continue to uh, touch over the course of forever, hopefully, as the Bruce Oak Recovery Centers expand. And I know we didn't get into it, but you do possibly potentially have plans for a women's center as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it's in our long range plans, but we have to meet all our metrics uh, over the course of at least a year at Bruce Oak Recovery Center, establish a success rate. So then we can go to donors and say, look, this program works and now we want to build a women's facility. And we've already looked at pieces of land that we think would be suitable for it. Um, the community gave so, you know, overwhelmingly uh, to get this place built and we're we're hopeful that we'd have a similar response when we hit the streets asking for donations and commitments to get a woman's facility built because we know that women clearly need recovery just as much as men. Uh, we started with a men's facility because Bruce was a man. He was our son. Um, but we, we, we recognize, uh, the need for, for women to recover and our foundation in fact pays for six women a year, uh, to go through recovery at another facility here in Winnipeg. So, Wow. Um, yeah, we're uh, we're we're excited about the prospects of a women's facility. I'll leave you with this, Brady. I uh, I, I send my absolute best to the minor family. Um, I hope they can find peace. Not easy. Um, I, I hope they they find their place because uh, you know I'm not sure not a day goes by that <clears throat> Anne and I and Darcy here say that you know. We get anything to have another day with him, as I've said before. I know they feel the same about their son and and husband. Um, and congratulations to you because uh, you're you're in the service of others now, right? And that's the highest calling there is through this podcast and your commitment to sobriety. And uh, I congratulate you. Thank you. I I really, really, really appreciate that. And who knows where you're at next 
spring, but I'm I'm actually I, I think I told you I'm rollerblading across the country for mental health and addiction next spring, leaving May 28th and be coming through Winnipeg. I know my friend Dale Weiss is going to skate with me. He's just recently signed in Sweden. I'm sure you know who Dale is. Of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was a, a teammate of mine. He's going to skate with me in Winnipeg. Wacey Rabbit's going to skate with me in Alberta. Terry Ryan in Newfoundland. So we're, we're getting the gang together to do different sections to try to bring some more awareness to this. And um, every stride that I skate is on, in honor of all those that we've lost in the hockey community. And it's my greatest hope that one day can branch out and start to do work outside of just the hockey community as well because there's such a need for it everywhere and um yeah just i'd like to honestly i'd like to get back down to the downtown east side at some point and and you know when i'm ready and, and give back down there having mm -hmm. survived that for close to a year and knowing um that there's so many hurting people down there that maybe just need a chance we can't save them all but if we can save one it's all worth it, right? Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, on your rollerblading uh, uh, project, if you stop in Winnipeg, you'll have to go down Portage Avenue, and all you got to do is make a, a left on, on one of the streets there, well, Moray, and then you can find the Bruce Oak Recovery Center easily. We'd be Perfect. delighted to have you there. I would, I would love that. I'm, I'm going to message my team right now and make sure that that's on the list of stops because um, we're doing plenty of stops along the way and um, trying to encourage others to, to reach out and ask for help and try to make some introductions in communities with different services that maybe they didn't know that they had or they were too scared to reach out to. So it's going to be lots of fun. And um, I appreciate this and um, just honestly honored to have you on. And I'm, I'm proud of you for the work that you're doing. And I know it probably has not been easy. So keep up the good work and send my best to your wife and Darcy too, as well. Last point. Um, I, I said earlier that we needed not one Bruce Oak recovery center. We needed about 10. Um, really what's happening in this country right now is we are leaving a generation of addicts out there to die Yeah, because there aren't enough recovery beds. We need to do better. So we're delighted to be part, whatever could be a small part, who knows, but part of the solution and uh and and we need more people to help in the cause well if there's anything i can ever do to assist in any even small way um never feel free to to reach out i don't know what i can do to help you but who knows right i'm 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 all in and if there's anything i can do to to help further your mission i'm all in so you thanks, can be part scott. you can be part of a meeting at the bruce oak recovery center we'll make sure of that i i look forward to that scott right. i really do thank you so much for your time I and i look you're... forward to seeing you hopefully on sportsnet this hockey season okay thank right. you brady take bye, care scott. bye all right guys that's scott oak what an incredible guy i'm so grateful to have him on the show and um very um tough conversation uh, but one that I believe has the power to change lives. Um, I, I forgot to just say thank you to him for his, his kind words to the minor family. I know they're watching and just know that I love you guys so much. I can't wait to get down there and spend some time with you. I got to do one commercial. I'm going to come back and uh, wrap this up. Hockey to Hell and Back is brought to you by Pride Tape. Pride Tape is a badge of support from teammates, coaches, parents, and pros to young LGBTQ players. It shows every player that they belong playing the sport they love and that we're all on the same team. Show your support for teammates, coaches, and fans in the LGBTQ community by wrapping your stick with Pride Tape. Every roll of tape will make an impact in sports and beyond. Inclusion starts with leadership. 
Check out some of the ideas of how you can get involved at youcanplayproject.org. Check out Pride Tape at pridetape.com. For more information, you can send an email to aubrey at pridetape.com. That's A-U-B-R-E-E, Aubrey, at PrideTape.com. You can find PrideTape on Facebook.com slash PrideTape, on Twitter at PrideTape, and at PrideTape on Instagram. PrideTape thanks all of you for being champions for change. Thank you to my friends at PrideTape. I'm going to North Bay uh, Monday night. I'll be there until Friday with 360 goaltending my buddy Dan Spence, a guy I played spring hockey with, a guy I played against in the WHL from Langley, British Columbia, now living not too far from me. I was up there last summer. He's the guy that really got me back on the ice again after all those years, and I'm so grateful for that. We've teamed up to do some 360 goaltending sweatshirts with puck support on the side, and he sent me a text the other day. He was like, you know, Think about it, man. I picked you up on the side of the road last year at this time. You had no teeth, no equipment, just a pair of skates, not in very good shape at all. And he's like, now this year you're coming back and, you know, your company is, his logo is on the side of the, the swag for the, the camp. So I'm very much looking forward to getting out there and connecting with kids. And the reason why I brought that up is because the great people at Pride Tape have already shipped some pride tape to North Bay to my house in North Bay, AKA the Buckman household. They're my billet family in North Bay, Blair, Mandy, Alex, and Carter. Can't wait to see them. I'll be staying with them. I absolutely love them. They're the, they invited me into their house last summer without knowing anything about me other than I recently been in jail. Um, trying to get, you know, stay clean. I was like six months clean or eight months or whatever it was. And, uh, and they brought me in and they treated me like family and we've become so close and I've stayed there since then at Christmas time. Just love these guys. Um, so I'm so looking forward to getting up there. If anyone wants to get together uh, in North Bay, I know there's a couple of people that watch and listen to this show. Uh, I'm, I'm down to, to grab a bite or just go for a coffee, chat, whatever. Um, shoot me a message on Instagram or wherever, here on Facebook, YouTube, wherever. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, please press subscribe. Please, please press. That's hard to say. Please press the like and subscribe button. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Stuart Smith says he's already wrote that stop on the agenda. Talking about the Bruce Oak recovery center. And he's texted me. He said, give yourself a pat on the bat back i never do that but in this case i will because stewart told me so out there in abbotsford thanks stewart um i believe sunday night 8 p.m eastern i'm gonna have kelly ewan on the podcast uh we haven't confirmed 100 it's like an 80 percent right now kelly ewan is the late wife of nhl enforcer todd ewan who tragically took his own life in 2015. She's doing a lot in the concussion community, uh, was involved in a, a pretty heavy lawsuit with the NHL, which has since been resolved. I'm not sure the details on it, but I don't believe we're going to talk about that. I want to talk about Todd's life and what it was like to live with, with somebody with CTE, concussions, and and just you know what we can do to make a difference moving forward. I, I appreciate Kelly's support. She's been so great to me as well. And 
just while I'm on that topic, shout out to to the Probert family. I got a message from Danny this morning. She's just looking out, seeing if I'm doing all right. And um, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. Bobby was one of my favorite players. He's down there behind me and above me. But just to have people like that and and so many people reach out. Honestly, it, it just blows me away. Not too long ago, nobody wanted to talk to me. I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. I hated myself. And with some hard work and some soul searching, I've been able to switch my life from hell to, I don't want to say it's perfect. Nothing's perfect, but it's pretty damn good. I'm not run by, by drugs. I don't try to just escape who I am. I'm able to sit and feel with who I am. Sometimes that may mean I don't get as much done as I want to do or I'm not you know, doing all the right things, but I'm able to sit with it and just feel who I am. What am I going through? Check in with myself and say, like, what's really going on here and how can we make a difference to get out of this? And I go like this. I'm up and down, as I'm sure most people are. I'm not going to give up. If you're watching, if you're listening, you're having a hard time, you don't give up either. Make that deal with me right now. Commit to the process. Hello to my family back home. I know my dad's watching or was watching. Nice to see Scott at ease as an interviewee rather than an interview. Hi, Dad. Out there in Okanagan, beautiful British Columbia. Miss you. Hello to my kids, Brooklyn and Brody. I absolutely miss you guys so, so much. Think about you all the time and I'll never give up trying to get you guys back in my life. Anyways, that's it. This episode's also been brought to you by True Temper Hockey. Thank you to the great people at True. And the last thing, I needed to give a quick update about my buddy Zach skating the environment, blading for bees. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get together uh, to skate with him, but I was able to direct him to my friends at B-Sharp Ottawa, Joe, Colin, they were able to hook him up with a new set of bearings, which was great. Um, Zach has been motoring. He, he kind of went on a different way than I had anticipated. Um, but he's still going to get together with me when I'm doing it next year. And we're staying in contact and just wishing him all the best. Make sure you check out them at Blading for Bees on Instagram. He's going for the world record. Thank you to my guys at B-Sharp Ottawa and Sonic LA for hooking him up with bearings. Anything to do to help him. Anyways, guys. That's it. Thanks once again to Scott Oak. Amazing stuff at the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. Thank you all for watching live. If you're listening, rate and review if you can. Please share it with your friends. Press share if you liked it. Um, I just really appreciate all the support. What's up, George? That's right, buddy. George sent me a message this morning. Let's make today a better day. Today was a better day. Not great, but better, but better. That's right, Lindsay. I love this bracelet. Shout out to Harper, my guy. Coming down there to see you guys very soon. Thank you all so much for your support, the miners. Schmitz, thank you guys. I love you so much and I can't wait. Tom, I can't wait to get on that fishing boat with you. Keep those pictures coming. I absolutely love it. Fill those nets. 
Everybody out there, don't give up on yourselves. Don't give up on your loved ones. If you're struggling, please don't give up. Please. There's hope. I promise. Be grateful. Be kind to everybody. It doesn't cost anything. And remember, have a great day if you so choose. Pocket of Hell and Back is brought to you by Performance Wellness. The collaboration between First Star Therapy and MindFrame brings a flexible, holistic program to athletes. The goal is to empower and enhance every athlete's well-being on and off the field of play through focus on intentful movement and mindful practices. You can contact them at consult at firststartherapy.com and team at mindframe.info. Plus, you can check them out on the web at firststartherapy.com and follow First Star on Instagram at firststar.therapy and at MindFrame on Twitter plus MindFrameFit on Instagram. I want the real stuff, everybody listen up, cause I'll only say it once, I'ma show you all the path, if you want it bad, I'ma show you where it's at, yeah, how you can get it back, yeah, cause I ain't never done, I'll be number one, working hella hard until I get just what I want, yeah, rise just like the sun, yeah, fade like a gun, shooters gonna shoot and I'm gonna shoot until I fall, yeah, do it on my own, so I gotta get through it, and the only thing I know is to love what I'm doing. Never give up, never slow till I finally prove it. Never listen to the nose, I just wanna keep moving. Yeah, I put out all the art, it's my only medicine. Yeah, everything I do, I'm just being genuine. Yeah, I'm sick of being screwed, feel my own adrenaline. Yeah, I do just what I do, and I hope you let me in, let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm stable. Oh yeah, no playboy. 